0: All right, guys, this is the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast again with your show host, Abel. And as you can see from the title, I'm interviewing Dr. Mike Isretel. So if you're new to this podcast, just know that this is not a one-off occurrence. I do interview some real smart people in the fitness industry. And in general, this podcast is there to deliver the best knowledge for you guys on a regular basis about getting more muscular, leaner, and overall become a better, stronger version of yourself. Now, in today's episode, everybody's favorite topic continues and that is training volume what is the number of sets you should be hammering your muscle groups with that is the big question you're all wondering about I know that and I'm on a mission to answer these questions Last week, Menno Hanselmanz dropped some serious knowledge bombs on this topic on the podcast. I encourage you to check that one out as well. But this week, it is going to be Dr. Mike Isratel. The big question we will try to get to here is, we all know that we should be trying to add weight to the bar. We all know that we should be doing more reps from week to week if we want to get bigger. But should we also try to add sets week to week? If this week you're doing 10 sets of chess work, should you try to do 12 sets next week and then 14 the week after? Is this the best way to get huge? Now, Mike has a compelling argument for this, but I will try to challenge him on that a bit in this episode. And let's see if I succeed. So we will get into the episode right now, but the only thing I'd like to ask for is... If you like what you're hearing here, please, if you could do me one, just drop a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening from on the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast. I'm not asking to comment or leave some really detailed review. I know that's kind of time-consuming, but if you could just tap that five-star rating, it would greatly help this show out. So thanks a lot in advance. I hope you'll enjoy this episode, and with that, let's get into it. Uh, In your estimation, how important is training volume for making muscle gains compared to other factors such as progressing load and um, intensity of effort or just intensity in general? So percentage of 1RM, a lot of factors to talk about. Like, what would you say? How important is volume?
1: Compared to all of the factors you listed, it would be primary. Um, It would be more important than those. Now, that's not to say that those others don't matter. But I can paint you a, a little bit of a picture of what the research shows, and it intersects with the experience of people who train and have been trained for a long time actually very well. This is one of those things that um, really for the first time in the last year or so, hypertrophy research has started to uncover a lot of the stuff that makes sense of some of the perhaps unconventional practices bodybuilders have been using for, for a little bit. Not all of them, because some of them just don't make any damn sense and they're not a good idea, but it does make sense of some of them that are almost universal, like uh, you know high repetition training, for example. So uh, essentially, the load on the bar does matter, and it's been shown uh, relatively clearly that anything, you know, very far south of 40% one RM probably doesn't gain you as much muscle, and, and maybe much less. Um, the, the number of 30% one RM has been thrown around. and I, I'm pretty keen on that number. I think it's uh, right on. Um, I would just uh, tell the sort of a real world implication there is, you know, if you're going less than 40% one RM on a movement, on that movement's one, uh, you know, if that movement's one RM. Um, you, you're going to have to ask yourself uh, what else you're doing to make sure that you're getting muscle growth out of it because there's a chance there that the load is encountering a serious problem. And, of course, hypertrophy results uh, from any load north of 40% 1RM and all the way up to uh, you know, 100% 1RM, beyond if you'd like you know, 110% or something, where you just ride these centrics. So that certainly works. And then for uh, you know, relative intensity, uh, repetitions in reserve, it's pretty clear that anything – uh, that starts to challenge you uh, is probably uh, going to uh, elicit quite a bit of hypertrophy. And so we sort of look at it as like uh, uh, five reps in reserve or more is pretty good. Um, I think at about two reps in reserve, you get real close to the same kind of growth that you would get going to failure. And that's a very important uh, implication that we could talk about later if you'd like um, Uh, On that front, because failure causes disproportionately so much fatigue, it just might not be super good idea to train there all the time. And 2RIR, even 3RIR is actually a really good place to train. So those are important, but the thing is that uh, volume has a preeminence uh, that is a a little bit more special than those two. So I'll put it to you this way uh, anywhere between 40%, or let's just be very conservative and say 50% 1RM, and just for real world purposes, 85% 1RM, I mean, you get damn near the same growth. Um, anywhere between uh, an average RIR uh, of, let's say, 4 and, and 0, like uh, stopping 4 up short of failure and going all the way to failure, you get real comparable growth. I mean, real comparable. And if you uh, adjust some other variables there, uh, you can get identical growth. Um, the volume question is very different. Um, if you compare a program, let's say you take a pretty well-trained intermediate folks you uh, give some of them three working sets per week per muscle group to do. You give some others uh, you know, six, then you give others nine, you give others 12, you give others 15, so on and so forth, all the way up into the 20s, you're going to see an almost linear relationship of hypertrophy at every single dose of volume. You just don't see that with the other variables. If you set up a similar study for intensity, for example, you'd have a group that did 50% 1RM, 55% 1RM, 60% 1RM, so on and so forth. Very, very uh, you know, interesting study to you know, hundreds of participants. You simply wouldn't see that kind of linear relationship. As it's actually by no means clear what you would see. You'd probably see a lot of people just get very similar hypertrophy, and there would be some variance. But, it would, you know, um, uh, myself and most of the other researchers in the hypertrophy field is a very difficult time predicting exactly which one of those groups would get more growth. But most of the researchers would predict that, you know, if you're a uh, trainee that's been training a while, you know, three sets per week is just not – it doesn't matter how close to failure you get or how much weight you use. It's just not going to get you the same amount of hypertrophy that six will. Six won't get you what nine will, and in most cases, 12, 15, and so on. We can talk about how far that so on goes, um, but that that's why volume seems to be it, – it's it's almost like um, you know, intensity is sort of the temperature of the stove that you set the stove at, and the volume is how long that you cook the cake for. And if you want a well-cooked cake, there's not really a temperature – which uh, can cook the cake in five minutes. It just doesn't exist, right? So, you all know, well, it's just turned up to 800 degrees. Well, that's just going to burn it or not even burn it, just kind of maybe burn the surface. Um, and, and so it doesn't really work. There's just no replacement for cooking a cake for, you know, a half hour, hour or something like that. And how long you cook the cake really, really, really does matter. Uh, so I think volume is because it's seen as a sort of uh, a measurement of the dose of training you're getting. The dose of training is very important in a way for hypertrophy. Uh, strength is a little bit of a different discussion. Yeah, for hypertrophy, that is a little bit it takes a more preeminence than uh, intensity, uh, which is weight on the bar, or relative intensity, how close to failure you go. Now, those are the things that are important, but I would give them maybe one-third of the explanatory variance for muscle size, and I would give volume maybe two-thirds of the variance. So they're still very much a consideration, especially if you screw them up and like, you know, train at 10% 1RM or 6 uh, RAR all the time. You're definitely going to pay the price, but um, volume is just more important because it's more explanatory, and it makes a bigger difference if you change it.
0: Right. Um, so just before I, the next question I want to address to you, and that's one of my next kind of major questions, is uh, to delve into your specialty, which is kind of the volume landmarks concept, because because that would be good to kind of overview. But just before that, uh, what would you say, like, there are, I mean, obviously, there are always outliers on whatever we're talking about. There will always be people that are exceptions that prove the general rule. But what would you say about people like um, either like something like Martin Burkhan, or even someone like Jeff Al alberts who is one of the members of the 3d muscle journey like eric helms coaching group there are people who seem to be just making excellent progress for not only years but for decades on really low volumes. speaking of jeff alberts i don't think he ever reached like 10 sets per muscle group per week for the most part and he has made excellent progress is he just a freakish outlier who is responding really well to low volumes or what, how would you explain something like that
1: yeah, totally. You know, I don't even I think we have to say freakish outlier. I don't think we have to say outlier at all. I think there's a normal distribution about every single human variable that can be measured. And in the case of volume tolerance, I I've, I've seem to suspect that it's pretty wide. Uh, so the variation or, or standard deviation of that normal distribution is, is quite large. Um, so I think it's it's not very uncommon to see both ends. Uh, of uh, individuals that can get great results from like five working sets per week, right? Uh, there's there's actually quite a few of those people. Like, you know, there may be as many as ten of them in a group of a hundred people. Um, and, and such individuals might also just have a pretty narrow window uh, of adaptation. So anything more than ten sets per week per body part might actually be over their maximum recoverable volume, right? So uh, the, and and there's definitely there are plenty of those folks. And and the other end of the scale, there's probably ten. Ten guys or so in a group of a hundred that have maximum recoverable volumes into the forties and maybe even higher, and that minimum effective volumes in the fifteens and the twenties, which means guys like that they'll they 'll actually be detected in studies with normal training volumes, like 10 sets per week, as non-responders. And there's plenty of those that's been detected. And I think, as Brad Schoenfeld suggested once, uh, it seems that non-responders are oftentimes just under-responders, and they just need more volume, right? Not always, but that's certainly sometimes the case. So, you know, you'd say those guys are freaks or outliers. I mean, in the technical sense, they're not even outliers, because I don't think they're – I think most statisticians would say an outlier is three-plus standard deviations. Or or minus standard deviations, or three three standard deviations outside the mean. I don't think uh, I think you get pretty pretty interesting low and high volumes well within that. You know, two standard deviations, you'd you'd get pretty interesting volumes. And and the thing is, and that's where I start to plug my own shit. Here we go, sales pitch. Uh, The volume landmarks concepts are are cool in at least one way that they're uh, you know the way you find them is via individual analysis. There's nobody can tell you that 10 sets is the right amount of work for you. Um, you got to do an analysis yourself, train and see your responses, note them numerically, and then you actually find out what your volume landmarks are for all the muscle groups and train within your own volume landmarks. Uh, Because for some guys, 10 sets is too much, and for some guys, it's not enough, and you got to find out which kind of person you are.
0: Right. So um, so with that, can can you just briefly outline, as as brief as it can be, of course, uh, like the general concept of minimum effective volume, maximum adaptive volume, and maximum recoverable volume? Totally. And um, yeah, just how we should think about them.
1: Sure, sure. So there's two important concepts in the volume uh, landmarks that are pertinent to this conversation, and one that's a little less important. I, I probably won't ma- mention it much after this. So the minimum effective volume is the least amount of volume you can train with, And see notable effects on hypertrophy. And then uh, you'll notice that the different uh, numbers for different individuals and minimum effective volumes also tend to rise with training age. So, you know, it used to be that when you all of us, uh, uh, I take that back, actually, because non responders are a different category. Almost all of us have a minimum effective volume of like one set per week when we start training right? You know, you you get your mom to start working out and you get her to do one set of squats per week. She will actually hypertrophy meaningfully over time from one set of squats per week. Now, of course, how many people who have been training for three years have a minimum effective volume of one set per week? That's insane. I wish, right? That you pray that that happens to you because it probably won't, it'd be the easiest training you'll ever do, but minimum effective volumes go up. And then knowing your minimum effective volume means, you know, that is a hard rule. Basically, anything much lower than that in terms of volume just won't get you any growth. And then, so there's the lower bound minimum effective volume, and then there's the upper bound maximum recoverable volume. That's the most volume you can recover from. It's usually expressed as number of working sets per week. Uh, that you can actually recover from on a week-to-week basis uh, to make progressive overload jumps uh, the next week. So, you know, if you exceed your maximum recoverable volume, you simply can't provide overload and training anymore. Um, and uh, that means your training is highly suboptimal, you know, if it's even that, and uh, maybe potentially even catabolic shortly thereafter, exposing you to very high injury risk. You know, your uh, your body, and, and there's actually good research uh, about this that I can reference, and it has to do with the damas. Uh, excessive damage study. But uh, basically, if you exceed your maximum recoverable volume by uh, a certain amount, uh, maybe by, you know, any meaningful amount, what you end up doing is using up all of your body's resources or most of them on recovery, then you don't save any for adaptation, uh, which usually utilize a lot of the same pathways. So it ends up being that if you train above your MRV too much, then you're probably just not getting your best results slash any results at all slash exposing yourself to pretty, pretty increased injury risks. So, Basically, the volume landmarks kind of give us this sort of golden zone between MEV and MRV, or over your minimum effective volume, under your maximum recoverable. If you know what those two are for you, any training volume, technically within those, you can just pick a volume and never change your volume and only alter your RAR, your intensity, and you'll get pretty good growth. I'm going to be fronting an argument, I think, in parts of this discussion that say you should probably go from one smoothly to the other, deload and repeat. But I think uh, anything between the two at the very least is at least a a fine volume. And uh, listen, for some people, that might be MEV of 5, MRV of 10. For some people, it may be MEV of 20, MRV of 55. Uh, You got to know yours in order to make sense of anything in your training. Otherwise, you can be doing a lot of stuff either suboptimally or just completely ineffectively for a long time.
0: Right. Uh, thank you for that. And I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that last point that you could just pick up volume and, and roll with that, or you could be progressing from a, the lower end of this spectrum to the higher end, because I definitely, from the beginning of time, ever since I got into this whole fitness game, I definitely heard a lot of coaches and experts talking about the importance of volume and the importance of finding an amount of volume that you can progress on safely and sustainably and potentially as fast as possible. Um But I... I think you probably were the first person that I've heard discussing this concept of going from this lower end of volume to the highest amount of volume that you can adapt to or even recover from within a relatively short time frame. So what would be your rationale from progressing from lower amounts of volume to higher amounts of volume within, you know, like a couple of mesocycles?
1: So the the rationale potentially is quite complicated because we wrote a whole book about it. We actually have an entire chapter dedicated to why why the progression I'll just give you a couple of clues. I could play devil's advocate and ask why we do an intensity progression in hypertrophy. Like why not just pick 70% of your 1RM and just uh, train there? What would your immediate response be to that? I'm curious.
0: My immediate response would be that you expose any kind of biological system to a certain stress, and then that system will adapt to it. And uh, you can potentially repeat that same stressor for a given amount of time, and maybe it will still adapt for a given amount of time. But over time, the system both uh, develops adaptation, but also some protective mechanisms from further adapting to that same stimulus. So if you want it to adapt further, then you have to increase that stressor.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not so sure why that doesn't apply to volume and why people seem to apply it to intensity exclusively often and not to volume, right? To volume is uh, much more fungible in the sense that you can alter it much more greatly, usually. You know, you can double your volume in a program over several weeks. You can't double your intensity, right, uh, unless you're just playing around in the first couple of weeks. So people will say that, you know, it's progressive overload? You got to put more weight on the bar. And for strength, they have a very good point. For hypertrophy, they have a good point, but we we pretty much know that hypertrophy occurs by lifting heavy ish uh, for just time and volume, and making the weights heavier is probably important to hypertrophy, but probably not central to it. As long as you don't let the weights get too light, uh, so that they fall out of that you know the bottom of that thirty percent range, you're probably just going to keep getting more jacked. Is there an optimal way to progress with weights? Probably, but in just the same way, I think there's no reason to think. That there's not an optimal way to progress in in, uh, in volume. And, and the real kicker here is the following. Yeah, you can actually get decent gains just by sticking to one volume and periodically over several months raising it as needed, right? That's totally fine. You can also get decent gains doing that with weight on the bar. Almost nobody does that, right? A- Abel, I mean, most people go in and they put two and a half kilos on the bar every week, or maybe every other week, or maybe five kilos, and then they change exercises and they repeat the process, so on and so forth. So I, I think that both positions are as easily defendable, maybe even more so for the holding the weight constant and moving the volume around. But uh, this is where I kind of actually uh, I, um, made, made a note to talk about some things here. This is where we transition to the part of the discussion, which is a little bit more theoretical, but I think it makes a lot of sense. So when we're saying, let's just train at a volume that's good and um, alter intensity or relative intensity or whatever else, we're actually making a claim that uh, let's just, for argument's sake, say we're training somewhere in the middle between our MEV and MRV. Would you be comfortable taking that as a thought exercise? Okay, so perfect. So we're in between MEV and MRV, right in the middle, and we're saying "This this is really the place to train. So uh, that's, and, and let me tell you this, I'm not arguing against it in the sense that I don't think it's a bad idea, I just think it's not the best idea. So it definitely it'll work for sure, it'll work great. Um, here's a couple of things that we're missing out on. Um, uh, I'll talk about the close to MRV stuff first, because I, uh, I'm actually here to sort of, I think, defend lower volumes. Uh, and, uh, but I'll talk about why it's best to train at volumes higher than just your uh, sort of maximum adaptive volume in the short term, sort of the middle of the MEV MRV. Um, as you get closer to your maximum recoverable volume, you start to um, really push the physiology further than it's used to going. There is some decent evidence that real pushes outside the comfort zone uh, physiologically, perhaps involving some muscle damage, result in a myonuclear or myonucleation that does not result from conventional training or nearly as quickly from conventional training. So there's something to be said for hard training. Um, A couple of studies put together can show us just probably a little bit to an overreaching effect for hypertrophy, um, which means that uh, we're basically uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good uh, sort of uh, good idea, perhaps, to, to really do a lot of volume at some point and then really back off. And that'll give you gains that last for a long time, uh, actually permanent gains that you maybe wouldn't have been able to get as much of those gains if you stayed with moderate volumes. And uh, and, and here's the last point that there's many other points in, in various books that I've written, especially the Volume Landmarks book. But the last point I'd like to front today is if you are going to be deloading in 2 weeks, right? You got 1 week of training left and then the next week after is in a week you're going to be deloading. How should you train in this next week? Well, you know you're going to drop a lot of fatigue anyway, so you you have a little bit of a window to really fuck your shit up. The question is, why would you just stay at a moderate volume? If you could make a superlative stimulus to get an overreaching effect, and heck, not even overreaching, just get those better gains at the higher volumes, you're simply following progressive overload, right? If you say, I'm not going to overload on RIR ever, or just always to RIR, like, that's a fine idea. If you say, I'm never gonna overload on weight, just gonna use 75% when around, because, okay, it's by itself not a terrible idea. If you say, I'm never gonna overload on volume, I'm just gonna do 15 sets a week all the time, That's a fine idea by itself but other things have to be overloading right uh it's all those three together and all of a sudden you have a really shitty program it's going to work well for two months and then it's just going to do barely anything right so when we're saying why are we moving along in volume over the short term it's for the exact same reason that we move over rir and and uh we move over intensity is because we're presenting an overload the volume that got you your best results last week is no longer that best result volume for next week you have to do more right if if we're gonna say that you have to go closer in rir which is probably true uh, to get your best results and if you we're gonna say we have to put a little bit more weight on the bar which is probably true why are we saying that you have to do a little bit more volume I and mean, volume is the most closely tied of these to hypertrophy altogether it's just not conventional practice but it seems to work fairly well in theory and uh, definitely works well in practice when you try it but it just makes perfect logical sense within the constraints, the exact same constraints we impose on intensity and on relative intensity. We progress those, why wouldn't you progress volume, right? To get those awesome gains at the at the, the top end of the program, when you're going to deload anyway, might as well kick it closer to MRV. Now, switching gears a little bit, why would you ever train with less volume than that? Because I've, I've had discussions with folks where they're like, all right, all right, I got you. Every now and again, we go a little higher in volume than the average. Like, they get closer to MRV. I see it kind of so present like a big overload, uh, and then deload, and then all the fatigue is gone, and then you repeat, right? But why would we ever train closer to MEV? So maybe from minimum effective volume to half the way up to MRV. Why would we ever train that, right? Um, there's a number of reasons I've actually listed uh, several of them that I'd like to talk about, but uh, I think one that we could start with is: is here's the deal. Um, you, I mean, minimum effective volumes result in muscle growth. They do by definition, right? Because they're already effective. They don't result in optimal rates of muscle growth. The growth they actually result in minimum rates of muscle growth but as you go for minimum effective volume closer to the middle of that range you get sort of better 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 hypertrophy results but here's the real kicker here's the real advantage of sometimes going that low it is the following when you train at those volumes your risk of the fatigue is incredibly low your risk of injury is incredibly low your risk of wear and tear or the total wear and tear is incredibly low and here's the thing you're getting gains almost guaranteed gains because by theoretical definition. So, when someone tells you that their minimum effective volume is 10 sets per week and they start every training block with 15 sets, you can ask them, "So why don't you go down to 10 sets and just work up to 15 and then eventually up to 20 and deload?" They're going to be like, "You know, fuck that. Why would I go down there and get those super easy, almost effortless gains that require very little work and a very little injury risk?" Huh? Wait a minute. Those are fucking awesome gains. I want those fucking gains. You know, if the only way to make gains was to put your like body on the line every week, that would suck, right? Imagine a world in which humans had to train at their MRV every week and then deload every other week. That would blow. Training closer to minimum effective volume is the very opposite of that. No, it's not getting you unbelievable gains, but over the long term of your career, it's getting you the most sustainable gains because they're the lowest risk gains. Like if you tell high level bodybuilders, look, there's this zone where you can get pretty decent gains, but your injury risk is really low, your fatigue accumulation is really low, um, it's not a ton of time. uh, Man, all of a sudden that starts to look really good. So anytime someone says, well, let me just stay in the middle range with volume, they're in effect making an argument against. Both of those extremes, which I just described, have their positives, right? And, and more specifically, let's just keep this to the lower volume end. You're going to argue against go getting those easy, injury-free gains. That's a tough argument. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, um, that was that was really well laid out. And um, I have just a, a couple of follow-ups, or, or one, one in specific. Um, just to uh, not to play devil's advocate but just to
1: please please play devil's advocate
0: <laughs> yeah 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 uh, yeah. it might might not be the right term for, for the question that I'm about to throw at you but okay. I'm basically just trying to outline a rationale for what I think the rationale is for the people who say um, that it does make sense to increase load week to week but it might not make as much sense to increase volume week to week sure. so If you, let's say, increase the load on the bar by five pounds, that might be a, I don't know, 2% increment in load and volume overall. Now, if you add in another set, that's a much bigger percentage increase in the overall stress that you put on the tissue. And I can definitely see the point for doing more volume over the course of your training journey as a lifter, because we know or we seem to know at least that your anabolic um signaling is is lowered from training sessions as you become more advanced and you also become more resistant to true to training stress so it makes sense that over time you do need more volume but that you would become resistant to an amount of volume that just a few weeks ago you made optimal gains on just in a couple of weeks that might be a little bit more uh, contentious uh, so how, how would you respond to that
1: sure i'll take the second one first volume resistance is uh, a non almost nonsensical concept um after you take a full week of deloading you lose a considerable amount of volume resistance i am of the opinion that volume resistance does accumulate over months and months beyond what deloading can set back and i think an occasional low volume phase of three to four weeks uh, is a good idea. But after one of those, dude, you're going to be getting sore from like half the volume you used to. I'm sure you've uh, taken training breaks before able yourself or lower volume breaks, you come back and do a workout that's actually quite easy. You get like the gnarliest pump ever after three sets of squats, you're like, Oh, my God, I think I'm done here today. Like, I can't believe it. I'm so sensitive to volume. Again, volume sensitivity can be rebuilt with periods of lower training volume. And here's another awesome finding. Periods of lower training volume do not result in muscle loss if you're doing things remotely properly. So that can be reset. No problem at all. Can it be fully reset? No, but no one's ever made that claim. It can be reset considerably so that every now and again in your career or whatever your training phases when you're doing too much volume and you're you're constantly introducing new and higher volume, higher volume, higher volume. At some point, you're really spinning your wheels and and just training a ton more than you could ideally have to to get gains. uh, Then you take a lower volume training phase, be it for a week, be it for a month. And then you're back to much lower volume sensitivity. So that's a, people act like it's like a permanent thing that you just train every week, and you do more every week. And if you climb that ladder too fast, there's no going back. These are the same people that think they're going to lose five kilos of muscle if they take their working sets down from 30 sets a week to 15 sets a week. You're going to lose zero muscle doing that. You might gain muscle doing that, right? So a really cool finding from sports science, and actually I had a conversation when Steve Hall, Menno mentioned this. Mano Henselman's, the maintenance volume, which is another landmark uh, volume landmark, uh, the amount of volume it takes to maintain your muscle is unbelievably low for almost everyone, especially relative to the size of their MEV and MRV for high-level athletes. If you've been training for five years, 10 years, your maintenance volume may be like six to eight sets per body part per week. Okay, Your MRV might be 30 at this point. Your MEV might be 18 or 20 or something. So it takes preposterous little. Volume tolerance is a non-issue in the long term. Does, does that address the the volume tolerance part of it? Or, or should I explain further?
0: Um, yeah. Uh, one one other point that it would be cool if you could argue for or defend is uh, the, the question of, okay, let's say that I start out a four to six-week mesocycle. And let's say I start out at – 10 to 12 sets. Um, like what makes you confident that, that 12 sets, let's say on week two, that's the the most optimal amount. That's right in, in the spot for my MAV, my maximal adaptive volume. Uh, what makes you confident that let's say four weeks later, that is no longer my MAV, that I adapted so quickly my volume uh, tolerance or resistance, whatever you want to call it?
1: Yeah, um, I'm not super duper confident about that. Um, I, I think that you can train at uh you know a certain volume and progress in intensity and RIR and still get really really good gains but i think because there are gains that we have to make that are special kind of gains that relate to getting closer to mrv i think would be missing out on those if we hung around that volume too much while fatigue accumulated um, there's also an issue that fatigue accumulation is catabolic and counteracts your efforts in the gym and you f- accumulate fatigue either way. So as you accumulate fatigue, you might as well present a more overloading stimulus to at least keep getting the same gains. Because can you get decent gains after one week of sets of 10 to 12? If you repeat sets of 10 to 12? Yes. Will they be the same gains as you got uh, in the first week? Probably a little worse. And then in the third week, probably a little worse or second week worse, third week even worse. Uh, uh, you know, until maybe two months later, you're not getting any gains at all. It's probably not a good idea to just go down like that. You can sort of milk out those volumes, but I think you could probably get better average gains if you follow the principle of progressive overload. Notice this is the exact same argument as getting to 300 pounds in the squat and squatting 300 pounds for a month, right? Like, why wouldn't you increase to 302.5 or 305? You know, every week add five pounds, two and a half pounds, or something. Uh, yeah, same argument, right? It's just, you're, you're, you know, there's a principle of overload, which means you have to do a little bit more than you did last time, and you're just straight up ignoring it. Now, it's okay to ignore it because as long as you're within those big parameters between MEV and MRV, you're still getting good gains. But you know, there's a difference between good gains and the best gains, and actually, that segues right into the discussion of the increasing volume is too much, right? Uh, by 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 sets. Uh, that really depends on the distance between your minimum effective volume and your maximum recoverable so as you train for longer and longer um, your mev and your mrv start to get closer to each other mostly because your minimum effective volume rises consistently almost linearly as you train well you know with years so at some point like uh, i'll give myself as an example on on many uh, of my body parts my minimum effective volume is something like 16 sets uh per body part per week my maximum recoverable is maybe like 18 sets okay it's really close right and and so if i said i'm gonna increase my volume by one uh, you know set per week um on the bar or sorry one set per week for four weeks I would just run myself right out of MRV and just have a disaster of a, a mesocycle. So for advanced individuals, that's absolutely a valid critique. At that point, you have to alter RAR. You can alter weight on the bar by small increments. Heck, if you're advanced enough, you might actually have to alter weight on the bar only every two microcycles, you know, uh, because every, even even going up every one microcycle, basically gets you so quick to your maximum recoverable volume that you end up just just having really short microcy- or mesocycles and your accumulation to deload ratio just doesn't make any sense. You know, like you two, two good weeks of training and one week of deload, that means for one third of the year, you're not making gains, which kind of sucks. You want maybe a three to one is a bit more logical, four to one, five to one, so on and so forth. So for more advanced athletes where their MEVs are high, close to their MRVs, that's a very, very valid point. Here's where it's a little bit less of a valid point. Um, And and there's a lot of research on this uh, training of, uh, you know, um, sort of early intermediates, right? That's who really is described as the trained population in university studies. And uh, Brad Schoenfeld and colleagues have done a lot of these studies. People show um, good growth. uh, And this is sort of taking a sum of a lot of studies together. Uh, You get good growth for many subjects at five sets per week. You get better growth at 10 sets per week. You get better growth at 15 sets per week, and then even better growth at 20 sets per week. And a lot of the studies kind of show this uh, sort of relationship on average, right? In, in th- that probably means that um, a lot of those individuals, and, and I know from a long history of coaching myself, um, that p- some people's minimum effective volumes and maximum recovery volumes are literally like dozens of sets away from each other. Like There's people that can make okay gains at eight sets per week, their um, best gains, so to speak, at 16 sets per week, and not hit their MRVs until 24 sets per week. So let me ask you this. Is the concern of adding a set, even one set per week, valid for them when you're saying, no, 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 that's too fast a volume addition? Jesus Christ, it would take you a 12-week accumulation mesocycle to get from one point to another that's actually not fast enough, you probably have to add two sets per week for those folks. And uh, so so people with big MEV MRV windows, which describes most intermediates, uh, they have a big range of what is effective, right? And it's kind of ridiculous not to go through that range. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, so I so hopefully that makes some sense. And then lastly, just on sheer experience. Um, Let's be completely honest, you know, just from the subjective experience of what feels like it's overloading, like if you did five sets of leg presses and four sets of squats in your first week, and let's say you didn't blow your load like an idiot, and that's not close to your MRV, let's say it was pretty easy. Is it really going to kill you to do six sets of leg presses and four sets of squats the next day or the next week? No, it's just going to feel a little bit harder, actually, because you got more used to leg pressing. You figure out your stance better. Your muscles, uh, it's been shown adapt to volume at the local level very rapidly. Work capacity tends to improve over the weeks. That's been shown in numerous kinds of athletes. Um, because work capacity improves so quickly and because you become more resistant or better handling metabolites and so on and so forth over the period of days and weeks, um, your body is usually very capable of adding a considerable amount of volume over the weeks. Now, that thing is, it's unsustainable, but that's why we have deloads. So it's one of those situations where you've plot out real world most people absolutely can handle. Uh, the kinds of volume progressions, one to two sets a week, that are 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 valuable, and it's absolutely right up their alley and makes sense in the grand scheme.
0: Absolutely, um, and and thank you for that. Uh, great explanation and. I would be curious, so um, how much does someone's recovery have to be on point, like absolutely on point? I'm not talking about sleeping four hours a night instead of nine. I'm not talking about something sure. like that. But something like, which is pretty prototypical, I think even within like fitness or even amongst people who follow fitness circles. So, you know, getting seven hours a night uh, instead of eight hours a night. So if someone someone is looking to modify variables to get their training progress to the next level, um, do you think that someone can follow through with this kind of progression model that you just suggested, if their recovery is, let's say, eight out of 10 as opposed to 10 out of 10?
1: Yes, with the modifier, and this is a big modifier, but it's something that's standard in sport practice or, well, modern sport practice anyway, auto-regulation has to be a factor, right? Um, I think I heard maybe Eric Helms on a podcast recently where they asked him if he favors pre-planned, you know, um, uh, program design or auto-regulated program design. And he like kind of sighed, maybe because he's answered that question about 1600 times, and he's like, well, you know, ideally both. <laughs> it's not either or. So, what I don't want people to take away from the volume landmarks is the following I don't want people to think, okay, my minimum effective volume is 10 sets per week. My maximum recoverable volume is 20 sets per week. And if I'm doing a six week accumulation phase, I go 10, 12, you know, 14, 16, 18, so on until I deload and repeat. Yeah, in an ideal world, that's awesome. But based on how you're recovering, based on your perception of effort, based on your performance, you actually can auto-regulate that process of movement generally from one landmark to the other. So in other words, you start with 10 sets per week and you know, it seemed like maybe you you kind of made it a little bit of an error. You thought your minimum effective volume was 10 sets, but it, man, you got really sore from uh, from that volume on, on average. And you got really pretty fatigued. Like you didn't think you were gonna get that beat up. So you're like, man, I don't think that was my MEV. You know, for whatever reason, I think that's changed me because I got stronger over the last couple of months. But I actually think my minimum effective volume must've been lower than that. So what I'm going to do next week is just stick to the 10 sets and increase the weight by a little bit. So all of a sudden, next week, you do 10 sets, and it feels like pretty easy. You don't get a sore hardly at all. And the perception of effort's not that bad. And you're like, all right, cool. Now I can go up next week. Next week, you go up to 12 sets. And let's say it works great. You get a little bit sore, right? Uh, you feel like you worked hard, you hit some PRs. Awesome. Next week, you go up to 14 and it works great again. But here's the deal. At the end of week 14, your girlfriend calls you and she's like, I'm breaking up with you because I've been dating your dog or something. And you're like, Wolfie, how could you? You're a man's best friend and you cheated me out of my future wife. And you're devastated the whole weekend. You barely sleep, barely eat. Well, that changes your recovery ability so then you look at you're supposed to be doing 16 sets next week you think to yourself man i don't think i can i think my mrv is actually like at 16 at this point i need to take a step back train stay at 14 sets a week or heck even go back to 12 increase the weight on the bar a little bit get my feet under myself i feel great and then the week after that you go to 16 sets a week it's awesome and then look you got a lot of accumulated fatigue you deload, and then the next time, maybe you start at 12 sets a week. And then let's say you have another great microcycle or mesocycle, and you go all the way to 18 or even 20. Right? So there's absolutely room for autoregulation in this. It's, I'm saying that wrong. There's not room for it. Auto regulation is essential. And the number of sets that you go up week to week should be autoregulated. But if you're feeling good, if stuff's feeling great, and if you feel especially like you're not sufficiently challenged, that's when you go up. If you feel like you're sufficiently challenged, if you feel like it was a lot of work, and not even feel you can measure these things more objectively, then don't go up. Just ride another week of really good gains. Um, Shameless plug, in our products at Renaissance Periodization, we have the male and female physique templates. They actually don't have, they only have a minimum effective volume. There is no maximum recoverable volume prescribed. There's just auto regulation at every single workout asked to, hey, how was that? How sore did you get? Um, uh, you know, How much wor- work did you feel like that was? Uh, how big of a pump did you get? When you answer those questions, it, it basically programs the next week for you based on how you answer them. So if the if one week really messed you up, you're not going to go up in volume. But if one week was pretty easy, you are going to go up in volume. So it's always mobile, always auto regulated with the goal of a smooth but adjusted transition from MEV to MRV.
0: Perfect. Uh, Thank you. And that was a great, great response. And uh, just before, I I definitely want to ask you about this uh, new 45 sets a week study. But before that, to kind of put up a point at the end of this, because, you know, uh, you are talking to a really large audience, but fundamentally, you're message is for the most part geared towards people who are looking to be their best at training Uh, but there are a lot of people who consume your content who are sort of the average trainee who just want to look good at you know a pool party when they take off their shirt so if we take uh, to quote from uh, one of your volume landmarks uh, articles let's say you're chest MEV so minimum effective volume is 10 sets your MAV is somewhere between 12 sets and 20 sets and then maximum recoverable volume is 22 sets Uh, let's say let's say that as you said um, you will make the most optimal gains if you progress from minimum effective volume to maximum recoverable volume but how would that compare to someone who just says okay I'm just going to find the middle of the middle range of my maximum adaptive volume so I'll just do 15 sets and I'm just going to do weeks and weeks on end and months. On and even. Like, how much faster progress would you say the former person makes who progresses from one end to the other?
1: Yeah. um, You know, uh, it's hard to put numbers on it. The person who progresses from one end to the other will make meaningfully better progress. Um, Maybe towards the end of a career, this would be a difference of 10 to 15 five to 15 pounds of muscle, right? Which is quite a bit. Um, But it's not going to make the difference between you being jacked to shit and looking like you don't lift. So you still get very, very good results just sticking to the mid-range. And actually, um, a very good question that you asked, for those folks that um, just want to look good and don't want to piss away all their time in the gym, I would actually recommend... uh, staying closer to mev for them forget the middle range maybe pick a point that's a quarter of the way up to mrv halfway between the middle range and mev and train on average and if you want to go from mev to the mid and then d low that's fine or just stick to that like say 12 sets per week somewhere between 10 and 14 right um 10 and 15. um i think that is a real good idea because what it gives you is really good long-term gains and it takes so little time, right? And it causes so little fatigue that you can enjoy the shit out of the rest of your life. Um, the thing with hypertrophy is, is the further up in volume you go, the, the more the diminishing returns are. Now, they're not diminishing in some crazy way that it's barely worth your effort at all, but they are diminishing. So, like, you know, if you want to step on stage and you want to get uh, medals and trophies for your physique, you had better be doing all the volume that you can, right? The whole range right? Um, The lower ranges to keep yourself alive and to set up momentum, the higher ranges to collect on the gains that you absolutely have to collect on to be on stage. But if you just want to look good, I just really don't see a big argument for training, you know, 30 plus sets a week or whatever people are doing, constantly smashing into MRV. Um, And this is one of those things uh, that people seem to Sometimes get a little mistaken with some of the research that is coming out. You get studies that are explicitly designed to test the upper limit of volume tolerance. Right, they're really just trying to find MRV. And as soon as one of those comes out, there's numbers that come out with them: 20 sets a week, 45 sets a week, you name it. And people just comment, and you can click on their profiles, and they're regular ass people with fucking kids at a real job. And they're like, so does that mean I need to be training at 45 sets a week? And it's like, oh, my God, no, which is I think like someone like uh, Berge Fagarelli had so he got so frustrated with that whole culture that he started like this low volume advocacy project, which I think is great because, you know, we don't want the um, the pendulum to swing too far to crazy high volumes. Uh, So I think like, look, if you have other shit going on in your life and fitness isn't the only thing you got going for you. The cool thing about minimum effective volume, it's way lower than you probably think it is, and you can get great gains training four times a week, 45 minutes at a time. You can make gains for years, for decades, and you look awesome, and you'll have all this other time. It, it, is, am I going to train someone like that who wants to win the Mr. Olympia one day? Of course not. That's two very different things, and I think people lose sight of that.
0: Yeah, that's beautifully said. And um, so... You said, like, it, the, the end difference would be something like 15, 20 pounds, uh, potentially, which is, which is a lot of muscle. Like, definitely. Yeah. De- but
1: that's after decades, right? So that means after a year, it's like a pound of muscle. So like, who gives a shit?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's say we take the average guy, average intermediate lifter, who is probably going to be the one listening to this, had been training, let's say from anywhere between three to five years or something, and is looking to put on five pounds in a good year like that's a really good year so would the difference between an mev focused uh setup and everything doing everything optimally be something like one or two pounds of muscle per year
1: yep i think so probably more like two yeah. if you really go mev versus the whole range i think it's more like two out of five so so for an intermediate, you know, if they stay close to MEV, they can get maybe three pounds of muscle. And if they really push it, they can get five pounds. And these are just averages. Like some people, it's going to be a really big difference. Some people, it's going to be almost no difference. And a lot of that, it really just depends, uh, Abel, on how 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 far apart your MEV and MRV are. If your MEV is a 10 and your MRV is 30, it's going to make a real big difference. Like If your average volume is 12 versus if your average volume is, you know, like somewhere in the 20s, then... You know that that's that's you know you're almost doing double the volume with that other pro- program and that's going to result in one and a half times the gains or something, right? But if your if your MEV is like eight and your MRV is like twelve, it's it's a moot point. Which is interestingly why a lot of very advanced bodybuilders uh, are advocates of not moving from one volume landmark to another because in their recent memory. Those volume landmarks are so close to each other, there's just nowhere to go. Uh, does that make sense? So so technically speaking, if you always train really close to MEV, you'll eventually get to where that number almost is your MRV. Um, but that means you're going to add muscle sort of really, really slowly. Um, you're almost designing your program to add muscle as slow as possible. If that's what you want, cool. That's just not what a lot of other people want. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and the good news is, is that if the, I guess if the difference between your MEV and MRV is that big, then you will kind of find it out intuitively because your training session will just fi- feel so easy, and you will never feel like you're working hard. So you will intuitively increase the amount of work you're yep. doing. So.
1: Yep. You know what's funny is uh, having had clients that are like that. Uh, it's really interesting. You start them at ten sets a week. And you do that for a while, and they're like, yep, yeah, feel good at making gains. You see that their strength, rep strength is moving up slowly. And then you go, go, go to 12, and they're like, I feel fine. And you go to 14, they're like, I feel fine. And you're like, alright, this got to break sooner or later. You're up to 28, and they're like, "Oh, I feel like shit. And you're like, look at their numbers, and like, you're still getting stronger. And they're like, yeah, I hate training like this. And you're like, okay. Or you're still performing, though. Why don't we do another week at 30? They do 30, and they hit more PRs. And you're like, Jesus Christ. It was like, good news, bad news. The good news is you just keep growing. The bad news is you got to do a lot of work now to get all that other top end growth. So, uh, you know, and then deload and then they can go back to lower volumes. So there's this really big range for them. Why not milk that whole range uh, if they, if it's there, right? Uh, and that's really sort of what the probably the biggest sort of general defense of moving through the whole range is you got the whole range, it's gains everywhere, you might as well pick them all up. That's it. Yeah, sorry, sorry. if you're in it for as many gains as possible. If you're a recreational lifter, what I would actually recommend is, uh, I've got some different recommendations for beginners, but once you get into your intermediate phase, I would say go from MEV to MRV, get to a level of muscularity and leanness that you really like, and uh, then switch to MEV, even maintenance training uh, for years and years, and just enjoy your life being awesome and jacked and going around and talking to babes or whatever you do with muscles, I've never figured it out. Um, and then when you want to push your physique further for any reason, you can do more. Uh, but uh, I think it's it's cool to, you know, because like a lot of people have this idea that they're going to have this awesome body. Um, you don't want to train at MEV as an intermediate uh, because it's just going to take you a long time to get that awesome body. You might as well spend two years training between MEV and MRV, get to the awesome body in two or three years versus five or six. And then just have that body for longer. Does that make sense? Like you might as well finish constructing it and then go to lower volumes to keep it versus like just slowly inching up. But, but it all comes down to personal preference.
0: Yeah, yeah. perfect Perfectly said. Um, so, Mike, do you have a hard stop in like one minute or can we delve into the 45 sets studied real quickly?
1: Yeah, totally. No, no. I, I don't have a hard stop at all really. So.
0: Awesome. Perfect. So um, I'll, I'll try to elaborate on this concisely, but I have a mini monologue to throw at you. So sure. the the reason why for me, uh, looking at, especially the study design, why it was so shocking that they actually found benefits to doing 45 sets as opposed to quote unquote, just 27 or something is, um, you know, doing five sets of head of squats to failure is already a pretty big deal. Like you have to be kind of a badass to do that in the first place. Then doing five sets of leg presses, like if if you do that mike like i'm like yeah sure like uh, he's one of a kind but most people are either not going to push themselves hard enough if they do something like that or their performance is going to suck so badly that it's going to be counterproductive and then doing five sets of leg extensions like it's just insane uh, but doing all of this with short rest periods so i'm assuming someone like you could do this but it would take you quite some time to complete a workout like this so if the average trainee came to me and said this is how i'm planning to progress for 8 weeks i would say I mean, if you're not going to get injured or not going to throw up all the time, um, you're probably not going to grow from this very much. But the fact that they not only grew, but they grew a lot, I honestly have a really hard time explaining how this was possible. So what, what do you make of this uh, personally?
1: Yeah, you know, the good thing about individual studies is we don't have to explain them at all. And I mean at all, only value of science 99% of the time is the total Consensus of the whole body of evidence, right? Uh, not to be confused for an excellent film uh, in the 90s with Madonna in it, which was pseudopornographic called Body of Evidence, I believe. <laughs> uh, it was a reference to her body, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So, uh, <laughs> what you want to do is look at all of the studies that have been done on training volume so far and consider that in science, every now and again you get a study that's just really quirky. Or it's not really quirky, and it turns out there's some stuff about volume and volume tolerance we really don't know, and this study has showed it. But in, if we rack our brains with speculation too much, um, we, we're going to realize that it's, it's kind of fruitless anyway. So, uh, what, I think, so what are some of the potential things that happened in that 45-set study? Well, first of all, the people probably weren't very strong. Right. And if you're weak, you can do a lot of shit. Like I know a bunch of uh, female clients that I've had that could survive 45 sets a week in legs, no problem at all. They just walk through a workout like that. They just don't have the ability to disrupt homeostasis enough for real, to really matter at those volume levels. So maybe the folks in this study were just not super strong. Uh, you don't know what they mean by squats. Could be squats to parallel, could be full squats. I doubt it was full squats. Sometimes people say parallel, but it turns into a 90-degree squat, which is way above. You don't know the range of motion on the leg press. Leg extensions are easy anyway, so all of a sudden we have an easier out. Uh, Loads are usually uh, auto-regulated to most extents in the study. Like, they pick whatever load the the subjects feel like they can get sets of 10 with. So the load might have gone up and down through the study, which would be a form of auto-regulation itself and, uh, you know, manage some fatigue, so on and so forth. The degree of what you call failure And there's a variety of protocols you can use in a laboratory to to figure out what it is that is failure. Um, One of the classic protocols is you have several research assistants yelling at the person. Every single set, like war shit, swearing, borderline threats, so that the person bleeds into the bar and gives as much effort as possible. That may have been used in a study. I'm not sure. Uh, More likely, it was like they were like, okay, go until you can't anymore, and the person got to be a little shaky, and they're like, come on, one more, you got it, and they did it, and then they racked it, right? So, uh, potentially, you know, we also know from very good evidence that people misestimate their true failure versus their, you know, their predicted failure by sometimes 10 reps or more. Right, so you could have just got a co- cohort of people that, on average, did that, and what they said was failure really wasn't failure at all. All of a sudden, if you're talking about six RIR training, yeah, like if you're not super strong and the range of motion isn't super big, uh, six RIR training, uh, you know, maybe 45 sets a week is totally possible. So you'll notice how, if we allow for some very realistic things to occur. Uh, you know, uh, that uh, that I've personally seen happen, I've seen all these things happen in Exercise Science Laboratory before, then, then it's totally possible that 45 sets really turns into what in effect is like, what, you know, if you walked into a gym, you would be causing that much disruption with 20 sets or even 18 sets, right? Because there's a mind-muscle connection and a, an intensity of willpower that people who really train as a career like you do they can bring to the weights that there's, you know, when you do a hard set of leg press, most people in the gym are probably like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? Like, is he dying on there? Like, does somebody need to help him? Most people, when they quote, unquote, train to failure, it just doesn't look like that. Like, I see people in my gym all the time go to quote, unquote, failure in the squats. They just kind of like, you know, they rack the bar, right? So maybe that was failure, right? So maybe... So the converted actual hard training volume that they did was like more like 20 sets or 25 sets. Well, then that's not crazy and there's nothing to explain. Does that make sense? Now, uh, that's pure speculation on our part. And, and the idea that all of these were super deep Bulgarian style squats, you know, or Olympic weightlifting squats that they were unbelievable leg presses with a good rusty plate loaded machine that fucked them up and leg extensions, Tom Platt style shit. Maybe they did that. It's really unlikely that they did that. And maybe just by chance, you know, There's not that many subjects in the study. You just got a bunch of people that were relatively slow twitch. Uh, here's how this could happen, for example. Um, some folks who knew each other from high school cross-country and still trained in, in distance running, and they lift weights too, but they still train in distance running. They're genetically more slow twitch. They're converted more slow twitch from their training. One of them is like recruited into the study, and he's like, hey, you guys want to join up with me? And he like invites three of his friends, and they join. All of a sudden, the average pool of subjects in a study with like 15, 20 people massively shifted to a higher volume tolerance. Like I've trained endurance athletes in weights. They don't have an MRV in the weight room. They <laughs> they can do a hundred sets a week and just be like, Bob, what's next? And you're like, what the hell's wrong? How did you survive that? Like, well, I run 25 miles in races. Like this is nothing. So all of that is pure speculation. And it's all pointless because one study could just have statistical. Now, I'm not saying the study has statistical error, but it's possible that any study had that. Um, so on and so forth, there's so many like, parts of data collection and study design and the actual process and the subject variability that introduces so many questions and so many points of variability that when you get the final product at one study is at best a hint. At what the reality is. Now let's go back and zoom out a little bit from that study and zoom out and and look at all of the studies that have been done volume so far. I know several studies, for example, uh, so far have found best hypertrophy occurring in the 15 to 25 Uh, range of sets, the German volume study, for example, comes to mind, which they actually found that the German volume training, the 10 by 10 group, which was like 20 something sets a week on on average, actually got less hypertrophy than the 5 by 10 group, right? There's other studies like that, uh, which show uh, that hypertrophy peaks way earlier than 45 sets a week. So when we look at it like that, if you had to look at all of the data on hypertrophy, would you be like, yep, 45 sets is everyone's MRV no god no you wouldn't do that you would say before that study you would say hey listen you know somewhere in the 20s is probably where most people are going to tap out after the study come out here's what you could say that's very reasonable you could say hey listen for most people under most conditions somewhere in the 20s might be a bit uh, you know close to the mrv but i'll put you this way we had some evidence some people can do a lot of volume and still benefit so here's the deal start your mev move up in volume and listen your MRV might be way higher than you thought, or it might be lower, but it comes down to the individual. So that would be my best answer as to what to make out of that study. The truth is not much because anytime we overthink one study, it, it, it violates the entire process of the scientific method. It's multiple studies that all sort of conciliate towards a, a, a likely truth. One study here and there doesn't do anything uh, in, in, in the grand scheme that we need to overvalue.
0: Yeah, so you're not going to rewrite your hypertrophy guides anytime soon from, you know, MRV, 45 sets as opposed to 20 whole.
1: You know, I'm thinking there's more studies on the way. I've already written them to end at 60. As a matter of fact, (laughs) a minimum effective volume now is going to be 50. You start at 50 sets per week, and if you're not bleeding out of your eyes, you go to 60. It's that simple. You heard it here first, folks.
0: And you mean the 60s MAV, MRV 70, of course, so.
1: Oh, right, <laughs> right. It's actually, I'm just going to, the minimum effective volume is going to be 50 and the maximum recoverable is going to be five. And I'm just going to leave it to people how the hell that even works.
0: Yeah, awesome. Uh, so so my, my last question to you and... Um, in general, I know that uh, experts like yourself don't like to talk about these things and I don't like to talk about myself either when people ask me because it's largely irrelevant what we do personally. But you as someone who truly lives and breathes hypertrophy training, you're obviously very meticulous about what you're doing and um have been obviously training for ages. Like how far did you ever have to climb up these volume ladders to make the best progress that you could and did did you make any kind of missteps when you overestimated what you could do or underestimated?
1: Ha, ah, yes. So I have trained my chest with too much volume and intensity. And it was probably a contributing factor to some kind of injury that I developed, where both pectoral muscles have a hypercontractility; They do what's called benign fasciculations, which when I flex them too hard, they continue to stay flexed beyond my conscious control, and they cramp up. And um, I I did so much uh, bent over rowing and vertical pulling in one as a cycle that my triceps started to do that. Neither muscle has ever healed. Uh, it's been over ten years that my pecs were like that, and over five years that my triceps have been like that. And they've gotten better, but they've had periods where they went they got worse. Um, and those are incredibly related to volume. Um, so it turns out my my chest has an MRV of roughly ten sets a week. That's right, MRV of ten sets a week and my triceps are similar and uh, my triceps are so sensitive to training that pull-ups and bent rows actually train them because they train the long head, right? So I don't I don't think a lot of other people get tricep growth out of bent rows and pull-ups, but I do. Um, so I have to be real careful with those muscles and, and realize that, that I drove them way too far. Um, I've had more recent experiments with side delts, rear delts, where I got into the 25 to 30 range of sets per week. And after two weeks of that, my strength went down. Like I literally, by definition, crossed my maximum recovery volume because my strength was no longer sufficient. Uh, and that was a, a definitely a big deal because I was like, well, that, that's all I that can handle. And I've tried to go back into those ranges a couple of times and the same thing happens. Same thing for back. My back takes about 18 to 20 sets per week and it, not much more than that. And I've done various experience other parts of my body. Um, on the low end, you know, so I used to like train calves and forearms like very little, just because I hated training them. But then I started doing more volume, and they grew more. So I was one of those like, ah, I guess I can't get away with best gains at f- f- you know six sets per week. I got to go into the twelve range or something like that. But generally speaking, you know, my per week per muscle group volumes currently are anywhere between honestly between six sets a week, uh, MEV, and maybe about twenty four to twenty five sets for other muscle groups. Um, but those generally tend to be; those are very muscle group specific, so it's actually very tight within each muscle. Um, anything much less than like 16 sets for side delts per week doesn't really get me uh, uh, much growth at all, perhaps any growth, and nothing much over you know 28 gets growth. So it's not a huge window there; it's a pretty decent window, you know, for my pecs. You know, anywhere between six and ten gets me growth, but nothing outside that range. For my back, anything between like 14 and 20, maybe even a smaller range. So that's where I am today. Um, I, I can tell you I've never uh, survived anything over weeks and weeks, over 30 sets uh, myself ever. Um, and maybe when I was much smaller, I could have done something like that because the weights would have been as heavy. Nowadays, it would be unbelievable to think that that would even be possible. Um, now, but, but and, and I will caution as I have to that that may not be anywhere close to the case. And I've had plenty of clients who have MRVs into well into the 30s, Uh, plenty. I don't mean numerically. I don't mean uh, statistically the majority, but lots of people, 20 people, so on and so forth, well into the 30s for most body parts, even quads. So uh, it comes down to making sure you know your individual tolerances and working from there.
0: Yeah, and just out of curiosity, when you managed to screw up your pecs and triceps, like how how much volume were you pounding them with?
1: Um, for pecs, it was like fifteen sets per week, and for triceps, it was twenty five.
0: Yeah, so not, nothing, nothing but, objectively crazy, but for no, you...
1: not at all. Yeah, and it's, it's really unfortunate. Um, and I have no idea what happened to them. No doctor I've seen has any idea what happened to them, uh, and uh, I'm just not sure what it is. Um, and if I if I train them uh sort of close to mrv for more than two weeks um i actually uh, they pull like literally i get muscle pulls that are super painful and leave me with much less strength for like two to three weeks and then the muscle heals and then it's back to full strength again um they also really rapidly deplete in glycogen for some reason so i think it's like a uh, like a local overtraining uh effect that i got so i, I you know i i, I don't know of I, I just know a couple other people that this has happened to But it's so few that I have no. um, I just don't know uh, what it is, and if anyone asks me about this on the internet, I'll just be like, I don't know, because I don't know. I have no fucking clue what's going on. It's not even to like to illustrate any point, other than you know, I'm not even sure that most people. I think most people, when they do too much volume, they just get really tired and weaker, and then they stop and they go back and they're fine, right? But I think there are worse things than that very occasionally if you do too much volume you could pay a much bigger price which is sort of permanent debilitation actually uh, one of the talking points i never got to was um you know beginners a lot of times want to do a lot of volume and the hilarious thing is that they don't need it because beginners get unbelievable gains with low volume and the thing is when you're a beginner you when you have high levels of fatigue from high volumes you end up uh, sacrificing your technique and all of a sudden you're doing much poorer technique and um you're learning poor technique right we've all seen the guy at the gym who's squatting way too much for his developmental age and too many sets and so on and so forth and the squats just end up looking like god knows what he's learning to squat poorly and subjecting himself to injury so i think another just just to bolster the argument of closer to mev training is it's so unlikely to get you hurt that alone seems at face value to people who have been training for several years to be like a decent benefit But for those of us who've been training much longer, it's a huge benefit because there's nothing worse than injuries short of just making no gains at all, right? So if you can even make small gains but have a really good chance of not getting hurt in the long run, that's always a really, really good thing.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for sharing everything that you shared today and uh, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Just uh, mention where people can find your work and any resources that you would want them to check out.
1: Sure, totally. So um, Renaissance Periodization, uh, com. it's a website or company that I co-founded and there's lots of cool resources on there. There's training guides and there's actually programs that, that do everything I just talked about for you uh, with your auto-regulation input of course. And then um, I'm on Instagram at rpdrmike R-P Dr. Mike. Um, I'm on Facebook, and I post every now and again. So uh, come check – oh, sorry, uh, Renaissance Periodization uh, at RP Strength on Instagram uh, is a good place to find out all kinds of cool stuff. So i um, see you guys online. It's all public accounts, so you can come follow and join in the fun, so to speak.
0: All right, I hope you liked this episode with Dr. Mike Isretel. And if you did, and you'd like me to keep doing podcasts like this on a regular basis, I'd really appreciate you hitting a five star rating on the podcast on iTunes, which will help the show grow, place higher on iTunes and other podcast platforms, and will make it possible to feature high profile guests, such as the one you've heard today on a regular basis. And you will be able to hear more interviews like the one you did today. Wouldn't that be cool? yeah, right, it would be dope. So yeah, that's all I had to say for today. Next week, a similar interview is going to come out on the same topic with a different super awesome guest. So be sure that you're up to date on that when that comes out. So thank you again for hanging around up until now. And with that, see you next time.